Section twelve of the Chouans by Honore de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two G. Very soon, in obedience to orders from the Marquis, the coach left the high road and turned off towards the Vivetiere along a cross-road in a hollow shut in on either side by high banks planted with apple-trees which made their way seem more of a ditch than a road properly speaking the travellers gradually left the blues behind them as they reached the manor-house its grey roofs appearing and vanishing alternately through the trees along the way several soldiers were left behind engaged in extricating their shoes from the stiff clay this is like the road to paradise with a vengeance cried beaupier thanks to the postillion who had been there before it was not very long before mademoiselle de verneuil came in sight of the chateau of the vivetiere the house lay on the slope of a sort of promontory between two deep ponds which almost surrounded it so that it was only possible to reach the mansion by following one narrow causeway that part of the peninsula on which the house and gardens stood was protected at some distance from the back of the chateau by a wide moat which received all the overflow from the two ponds with which it communicated in this way an island was formed which was an almost impregnable retreat and therefore invaluable for a party leader who could only be surprised here by treachery as the gate creaked on its rusty hinges and she passed under the pointed archway that had been ruined in the previous war mademoiselle de verneuil stretched out her head the gloomy colors of the picture presented to her gaze all but effaced the thoughts of love and coquetry with which she had been soothing herself the coach entered a great courtyard almost square in shape and bounded by the steep banks of the ponds these rough embankments were kept dank by the water with its great patches of green weed and bore such trees as love marshy places for their sole adornment they stood leafless now the stunted trunks and huge heads gray with lichens rose above the reeds and undergrowth like misshapen dwarfs these uncomely hedges seem to have a sort of life in them and to find a language when the frogs escaped from them croaking as they went and the water-hens in alarm at the sounds made by the coach flew and splashed across the surface of the pools the courtyard surrounded by tall withered grasses gorse dwarf shrubs and creeping plants put an end to any preconceived ideas of order or of splendor the chateau itself seemed to have been a long while deserted the roofs appeared to bend under an accumulation of vegetable growths and although the walls were built very solidly of the schistous stone of the district there were numerous cracks where the ivy had found a hold the chateau fronted the pond and consisted of two wings which met at right angles in a high tower and that was all 
the doors and shutters hung loose and rotten the balustrades were eaten with rust and these like the crazy windows looked as if the first breath of a storm would bring them down a shrewd wind whistled through the ruinous place and in the uncertain moonlight the great house had a spectral appearance and character the cold grays and blues of the granitic stone combined with the tawny brown and black of the schist must have been actually seen before the accuracy of the image called up at first sight by this dark empty carcass of a house can be appreciated it looked exactly like a skeleton with the fissures in its masonry its unglazed windows the embrasures in the battlements of the tower seen against the sky and the roofs that let the light through the birds of prey that flew shrieking about it added one more feature to the vague resemblance a few lofty fir-trees behind the house showed their dark waving foliage above the roofs and some yew-trees that had once been trimmed as a sort of ornament to the corners now made for it a setting of dismal festoons like palls at a funeral the shape of the doorways the clumsiness of the ornaments the want of symmetry in the construction and everything in fact about the mansion showed that it was one of those feudal manor-houses of which brittany is proud not without reason it may be for in this celtic land they form monuments to the nebulous history of a time when as yet the monarchy was not established in mademoiselle de vernoy's imagination the word chateau always called up a conventional type so that she was greatly struck with the funeral aspect of the picture before her she sprang lightly from the coach and stood by herself looking about her in dismay and meditating on the part that she ought to play francine heard madame du gois give a sigh of joy when she found herself free of the escort of blues and an involuntary exclamation broke from her when the gate was shut and she found herself within this kind of natural fortress montauran had hurried eagerly to mademoiselle de vernoy he guessed the nature of the thoughts that filled her mind this chateau he said with a shade of melancholy in his voice was ruined in the war just as the plans which i projected for our happiness have been ruined by you and in what way she inquired in utter astonishment are you a beautiful young woman witty and nobly born he said in caustic tones repeating for her the words which she had spoken so coquettishly during their conversation by the way who has told you otherwise friends of mine worthy of credence who are deeply interested in my safety and are on the watch to baffle treachery treachery said she with a satirical look are alencon and hulot so far away already you have a poor memory a perilous defect in the leader of a party but if friends begin to exert so powerful a sway over your heart she went on with matchless insolence 
pray keep your friends there's nothing which can be compared with the pleasures of friendship farewell for neither i nor the soldiers of the republic will enter here she darted towards the gateway in her wounded pride and scorn but there was a dignity and a desperation about her flight that wrought a change in the ideas of the marquis concerning her he could not but be imprudent and credulous for he could only forego his desires at too great a cost to himself he also was already in love so that neither of the lovers had any wish to protract their quarrel only a word and i believe you he said with entreaty in his voice a word she answered in an ironical tone not so much as a gesture and her lips were tightly strained together scold me at any rate he entreated trying to take the hand which she withdrew if indeed you dare to pout with a rebel chieftain who is now as sullen and suspicious as he was formerly light-hearted and confiding there was no anger in marie's look so the marquis went on you have my secret and i have not yours a darker shade seemed to cross her alabaster brow at the words marie looked angrily at the chief and replied my secret never every word every glance has at the moment its own eloquence in love but mademoiselle de vernoy's words had conveyed no definite meaning and for montauron clever as he might be the significance of her exclamation remained undecipherable and yet her woman's voice had betrayed an emotion by no means ordinary which was still in evidence to excite his curiosity you have a pleasant way of dispelling suspicions he began so you still harbor them she inquired and her eyes scanned him curiously as if to say have you any rights over me mademoiselle said the young man who looked at once submissive and resolute the authority you exercise over the republican troops and this escort ah that reminds me are we my escort and i your protectors as a matter of fact in security here she asked with a trace of irony yes on my faith as a gentleman whoever you may be you and yours have nothing to fear in my house the impulse that prompted this pledge was evidently so generous and so staunch that mademoiselle de vernoy could not but feel absolutely at rest as to the fate of the republicans she was about to speak when madame du gois's presence imposed silence upon her madame de gois had either overheard the conversation of the two lovers or she had partly guessed at it and it was in consequence no ordinary anxiety that she felt when she saw them in a position which no longer implied the slightest unfriendliness at sight of her 
the marquis offered his hand to mademoiselle de verneuil and went quickly towards the house as if to rid himself of an intrusive companion i am in the way said the stranger lady to herself without moving from the place where she stood she watched the two reconciled lovers moving slowly now on their way to the entrance flight of steps where they came to a stand that they might talk so soon as they had put a distance between themselves and her yes yes i am in their way she went on speaking to herself but in a little while the creature yonder will not be in my way any longer the pond pardieu shall be her grave i shall not violate your faith as a gentleman once under that water what is there to fear will she not be safe down below there she was staring at the calm mirror-like surface of the little lake to the right of the courtyard when she heard a rustling sound among the briars on the embankment and by the light of the moon she saw marche a terre's face rise up above the knotty trunk of an old willow tree one had to know the chouan well to make him out among the confusion of pollard trunks for one of which he might readily be taken first of all madame de croix looked suspiciously round about her she saw the postilion leading the horses round into a stable situated in that wing of the chateau which fronted the bank where Machater was hiding she watched francine go towards the two lovers who had forgotten everything else on earth just then and she came forward with a finger on her lips to enjoin absolute silence so that the chouan rather understood than heard the words that followed next how many are there of you here eighty-seven they are only sixty-five for i counted them good the savage answered with cruel satisfaction heedful of francine's slightest movement the chouan vanished into the hollow willow trunk as he saw her return to keep a lookout for the woman whom her instinct told her to watch as an enemy seven or eight people appeared at the top of the steps brought out by the sounds of the arrival of the coach it is the gar they exclaimed it is he here he is others came running up at their exclamations and the talk between the two lovers was interrupted by their presence the marquis of montauran made a rush towards these gentlemen called for silence with an imperative gesture and made them look at the top of the avenue through which the republican soldiers were filing at the sight of the familiar blue uniform turned up with red and the gleaming bayonets the astonished conspirators exclaimed can you have come back to betray us i should not warn you of the peril if i had said the marquis smiling bitterly those blues he went on after a pause are this young lady's escort her generosity rescued us by a miracle from a danger which all but overwhelmed us at an inn in alencon 
we will give you the history of the adventure mademoiselle and her escort are here on my parole and must be welcomed as friends madame de goix and francine having come as far as the flight of steps the marquis gallantly presented his hand to mademoiselle de vernoy the group of gentlemen fell back into two rows in order to let them pass and every one tried to discern the features of the newcomer for madame de goix had already stimulated their curiosity by making several furtive signs to them in the first room mademoiselle de vernoy saw a large table handsomely furnished and set for a score of guests the dining-room opened into a vast saloon where the company were very soon assembled together both apartments were in keeping with the appearance of dilapidation about the exterior of the chateau the wainscot was of polished walnut ill-carved with poor and rough designs in bold relief but it was split by great cracks and seemed ready to fall to pieces the dark color of the wood seemed to make the mirrorless and curtainless rooms more dismal yet and the antiquated and crazy furniture matched the ruinous aspect of everything else marie noticed maps and plans lying out unrolled upon a great table and a stack of weapons and rifles in a corner of the room everything spoke of an important conference among the vendean and chouan chiefs the marquis led mademoiselle de vernoy to an enormous worm-eaten armchair which stood beside the hearth and francine took up her position behind her mistress leaning upon the back of the venerable piece of furniture you will give me leave to do my duty as host for a moment said the marquis as he left the two newcomers to mingle with the groups his guests had formed francine saw how at a word or two from montauron the chiefs hastily concealed their weapons and maps and anything else which could arouse the suspicions of the republican officers one or two of the chiefs divested themselves of wide leather belts furnished with hunting knives and pistols the marquis recommended the greatest discretion and left the room apologizing for the absence necessary to provide for the reception of the inconvenient guests which chance had thrust upon him mademoiselle de vernoy who was trying to warm her feet at the fire had allowed montauron to leave her without turning her head and thus disappointed the expectations of the onlookers who all were anxious to see her face francine was the sole witness of the change wrought among those assembled by the young chief's departure the gentlemen gathered round the stranger lady and during the murmured conversation which was carried on among them there was no one present who did not look again and again at the two strangers you know montauran she said he fell in love with this girl at first sight and you can easily understand that the soundest advice 
was suspicious to him when it came from my mouth our friends in paris and messieurs de valois and d'esgrignon at alencon one and all warned him of the trap they want to set for him by flinging some hussy at his head and he is bewitched with the first one he comes across a girl who if all i can learn about her is correct has taken a noble name only to tarnish it who and so on and so on this lady in whom the woman that decided the attack on the turgotine can be recognized will keep throughout this story the name which enabled her to escape in the perils of her journey through alencon the publication of her real name could only displease a noble family who have suffered deeply already from the errors of this young person whose fortunes have moreover been taken for the subject of another drama very soon the attitude of the company changed and simple curiosity grew to be impertinent and almost hostile two or three rather harsh epithets reached francine's ears who spoke a word to her mistress and took refuge in the embrasure of a window marie rose and turned her glances filled with dignity and even with scorn upon the insolent group her beauty and her pride and the refinement of her manner worked a sudden change in the attitude of her enemies and called forth an involuntary flattering murmur from them two or three men among them whose exterior polish and habits of gallantry revealed that they had been acquired in the lofty spheres of courts came up to marie in a free and easy manner her modest reserve compelled their respect none of them dared to address a word to her and so far from being accused by them it was she who seemed to sit in judgment upon them the chiefs in this war undertaken for god and the king bore very little resemblance to the fancy portraits which she had been pleased to draw of them the real grandeur of the struggle was diminished for her it shrank into mean dimensions when she saw two or three energetic faces excepted the country gentlemen about her every one of them entirely devoid of character and figure marie came down all at once from poetry to prose at first sight these faces seemed to manifest a craving for intrigue rather than a love of glory it was really self-interest that had set each man's hand to his sword so if they grew heroic figures in the field here they appeared as they actually were the loss of her illusions made mademoiselle de vernoy unjust and prevented her from recognizing the real devotion that distinguished several of these men but most of them for all that were of a commonplace turn if a few faces among them were marked out by a character of their own 
it was spoiled by a certain pettiness due to aristocratic etiquette and convention so if marie's generosity allowed them to be astute and shrewd she found no trace among them of the simpler and larger way of looking at things which the men and the successes of the republic had always led her to expect this nocturnal confabulation in the old ruined stronghold beneath the quaintly carved beams that were no ill match for the faces below made her smile she was inclined to see it all as a typical presentment of the monarchy then she thought with delight that at any rate the marquis took the first place among these men whose sole merit in her eyes lay in their devotion to a lost cause she drew the outlines of her lover's face upon that background of figures and pleased herself with the way in which he stood out against it all these meagre and thin personalities were but tools in his hands wherewith to carry out his own noble purposes just then the returning footsteps of the marquis sounded from the next room the conspirators broke up into knots at once and there was an end to the whisperings they looked like schoolboys who have been up to some mischief in their master's absence hurriedly restoring an appearance of order and silence montauran came in the happiness of admiring him of seeing him take the first place among these folk the youngest and handsomest man among them fell to marie he went from group to group like a king among his courtiers distributing slight nods handshakes glances and words that indicated a good understanding or a tinge of reproach playing his part as a partisan leader with a grace and self-possession which could hardly have been looked for in a young man whom she had set down at first as a feather-brain the presence of the marquis had put a stop to their inquisitive demonstrations with regard to mademoiselle de verneuil but madame de gouin's spitefulness soon showed its effects the baron du guenic nicknamed lentine who among all these men thus brought together by weighty considerations seemed best entitled by his name and rank to speak on familiar terms with montauran laid a hand on his arm and drew him into a corner listen my dear marquis he said we are all sorry to see you about to commit a flagrant piece of folly what do you mean by that remark who can tell where this girl comes from what she really is and what her designs upon you may be between ourselves my dear lentime my fancy will have passed off by to-morrow morning just so but how if the gypsy betrays you before the morning i will answer to that when you tell me why she has not already done so answered montauran jestingly assuming an air of exceeding self-complacency 
if she has taken a liking to you she would have no mind perhaps to betray you till her fancy too had passed off just take a look at that charming girl my dear fellow notice her manners and dare to tell me that she is not a woman of good birth if she sent a favorable glance in your direction would you not feel in the depths of you some sort of respect for her a certain lady has prejudiced you against her but after what we have just said to each other if she was one of those abandoned women that our friends have spoken about i would kill her you do not suppose that fouche would be fool enough to pick up a girl from a street corner to send after you madame de goix broke in he has sent some one likely to attract a man of your calibre but if you are blind your friends will have their eyes open to watch over you madame answered the gars darting angry glances at her take care to make no attempt against this person or her escort or nothing shall save you from my vengeance it is my wish that mademoiselle should be treated with the greatest respect and as a woman who is under my protection we are connected i believe with the family of verneuil the opposition which the marquis encountered produced the effects that hindrances of this sort usually cause in young people lately as he apparently held mademoiselle de verneuil when he gave the impression that his infatuation for her was only a whim his feeling of personal pride had forced him to take a considerable step by openly acknowledging her it became a question of his own honor to make others respect her so he went from group to group assuring everyone that the stranger really was mademoiselle de verneuil with the air of a man whom it would be dangerous to contradict and all the murmurs were silenced as soon as harmony was in some sort re-established in the salon and his duties as host detained him no longer montauran went eagerly up to his mistress and said in a low voice those people yonder have robbed me of a moment of happiness i am very glad to have you beside me she answered smiling i give you fair warning i am inquisitive so do not grow tired of my questions too soon first of all tell me who that worthy person is in the green waistcoat he is the celebrated major brigot from the marais a comrade of the late merciers otherwise called la vendée and who is the stout churchman with the florid countenance with whom he is now discussing me went on mademoiselle de verneuil do you want to know what they are saying about you do i want to know can you doubt it but i could not tell you without insulting you the moment that you allow me to be insulted without wreaking vengeance for any affront put upon me in your house i bid you farewell marquis not a moment longer will i stay 
i have felt some pangs of conscience already at deceiving those poor trusting and trusty republicans she took several paces but the marquis went after her my dear marie hear me upon my honour i have silenced their scandalous talk before i know whether it is false or true but our friends among the ministers in paris have sent warning to me to mistrust every sort of woman that comes in my way telling me that fouche has made up his mind to make use of some judith out of the streets against me and in my situation it is very natural that my best friends should think that you are too handsome to be an honest woman the marquis looked straight into the depths of mademoiselle de vernoy's eyes her colour rose she could not keep back the tears oh i have deserved these insults she cried i would fain see you convinced that i am a despicable creature and yet know myself beloved then i should doubt you no longer i believed in you when you deceived me but you have no belief in me when i am sincere there that is enough sir she said knitting her brows and growing white like a woman about to die farewell she fled into the dining-room with a desperate impulse marie my life is yours said the young marquis in her ear she stopped and looked at him no no she said i will be generous farewell when i followed you hither i was mad i was thinking neither of my own past nor of your future what you leave me at the moment when i lay my life at your feet it is offered in a moment of passion of desire it is offered without regret and for ever said he she came back again and to hide his emotion the marquis resumed their conversation that stout man whose name you asked for is a formidable person he is the abbe goudin one of those jesuits who are obstinate enough or it may be devoted enough to stay in france in the teeth of the edict of seventeen sixty three which drove them into exile he is the firebrand of war in these parts and a propagandist of the religious confraternity named after the sacred heart he makes use of religion as a means towards his ends so he persuades his proselytes that they will come to life again and he understands how to sustain their fanaticism by dexterously contrived prophecy you see how it is one must seek to gain over every one through his private interests in order to reach a great end that is the whole secret of policy and that muscular person in a vigorous old age with such a repulsive face there look the man who is wearing a ragged lawyer's gown lawyer he aspires to the title of maréchal de comte have you never heard them speak of Longy? is that he 
said Mademoiselle de Vernoy, startled. And you make use of such men as he? Hush, he might overhear you. Do you see that other man in unhallowed converse with Madame de Gois? The man in black who looks like a judge? He is one of our diplomatists, la billardière, the son of a councillor in the Parliament of Brittany. His name is Flamet, or something like it, but he is in the confidence of the princes. Then there is his neighbor who is clutching his white clay pipe at this moment and leaning the fingers of his right hand against the panel of the wainscot like a boor said mademoiselle de vernoy laughing pardieu your guess about him is correct he was formerly gamekeeper to that lady's husband now deceased he is in command of one of the companies which i am opposing to the mobile battalions he and marcheterre are perhaps the most scrupulously loyal servants that the king has hereabouts but who is she she was charette's last mistress the marquis replied she has a great influence over everybody here has she remained faithful to his memory all the answer vouchsafed by the marquis was a dubious kind of compression of the lips have you a good opinion of her really you are very inquisitive she is my enemy because she can be my rival no longer said mademoiselle de vernoy laughing i forgive her her past errors so let her forgive mine who is that officer with the moustaches permit me to leave his name unmentioned he is determined to rid us of the first consul by attacking him sword in hand whether he succeeds or no you will hear of him he will become famous and you are come hither to command such men as these she said aghast and these are the king's champions where are the great lords and the gentlemen why they are scattered throughout every court in europe said the marquis scornfully who but they are enlisting kings with their armies and their cabinets in the service of the house of bourbon to hurl them all upon this republic which is threatening monarchy and social order everywhere with utter destruction ah she answered him stirred by an enthusiastic impulse from this time forward be for me the pure source whence i shall draw all the rest of the ideas that i must learn i am willing that it should be so but leave me the thought that you are the one noble who does his duty in attacking france with frenchmen and not with foreign auxiliaries i am a woman and i feel that if my own child were to strike me in anger i could forgive him but if he could see me torn in pieces by a stranger i should consider him a monster you will always be a republican 
said the marquis overcome by a delightful intoxication the strong feeling in her tones had strengthened his confident hopes a republican no i am that no longer i should not respect you if you were to make your submission to the first consul she replied but neither should i be willing to see you at the head of the men who are plundering a corner of france when they should be attacking the republic in form for whom are you fighting what do you look for from a king restored to the throne by your hands a woman once before achieved this glorious master-stroke and the king whom she delivered let them burn her alive such as he are the anointed of the lord and it is perilous to touch hallowed things leave it to god alone to set them up to take them down or to replace them on their dais among the purple if you have weighed the reward that will be meted out to you then in my eyes you are ten times greater than i have ever thought you if that is so trample me beneath your feet if you will i would give you leave to do so and be glad you are enchanting but do not try to urge your doctrine on these gentlemen or i shall be left without soldiers ah if you would let me convert you we would go a thousand leagues away from here these men whom you appear to despise will know how to die in the struggle said the marquis in a more serious tone and all their faults will be forgotten then besides if my efforts are crowned with any success will not the laurels of victory hide everything you are the only one present who has anything to lose as far as i can see i am not the only one he replied with real humility there are those two vendean chiefs over there the first one whom you have heard spoken of as the grand jacques is the comte de fontaine and the other la billardiere whom i have already pointed out to you do you forget quiberon where la billardiere played such a very strange part she answered struck by a sudden thought of the past la billardiere has undertaken heavy responsibilities believe me those who serve the princes do not lie upon roses you make me shudder cried marie then she went on in a tone which indicated that she was keeping in the background some mystery that concerned him personally a single moment is enough for the destruction of an illusion and to reveal secrets on which the lives and happiness of many men depend she paused as if she were afraid of having said too much and added i should like to know that the soldiers of the republic are in safety i will be very careful he said smiling to conceal his agitation but say no more about your soldiers i have answered for them to you on the faith of a gentleman 
and after all what right had i to dictate to you she resumed you are to be the master always when it lies between us two did i not tell you that i should be in despair to reign over a slave my lord marquis said major brigaud respectfully interrupting the conversation will the blues remain here for some time they will go on again as soon as they are rested marie cried End of section 12